0: Hebrews chapter 3. Again, it's good to see all of you here tonight. Um, uh, It's good to have this opportunity to be in my dad's time slot. I pray that you would... I would ask you to pray for them as they are celebrating their anniversary, 41st, okay, uh, 41st anniversary, and they are um, going on a cruise, and so what I understand, they got on the cruise ship all right, and I'm sure they're going to have a great time, so uh, just can uh, be in prayer for them. Um, If you found Hebrews chapter 3. I'd ask you to stand to your feet as we read the word together. And the last time I spoke, we looked at the first six verses of this chapter. This time we're going we're gonna to go from verse 7 all the way to the end of it, at verse 19. So Hebrews chapter 3, beginning of verse 7. These are the words of God. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith... Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil, and unbe- an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. How be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses? But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let's pray one more time together. Father, thank you again for this time and thank you for your word. Pray that you would write it on our hearts. Father, we're going to see that it's an uncomfortable word in some ways. But Father, we know that all of your word is good and that it's for our edification and for building us up. So Father, we do pray that your word would have its desired effect now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I read a story yesterday about the famous magician and escape artist Harry Houdini. Now, my uncle Sam, back in the day when I was a kid, I used to be really into magic, and uh, he gave me he gave me the name the Great Jolini. <laughs> but I read a story yesterday about Houdini that on one occasion he was challenged to. Uh, have himself handcuffed with these certain kind of handcuffs that were apparently really tough to get out of and it says that there was you know six locks on each cuff or something like that and the the challenge of course was for him to see if he could get out of these handcuffs so of course Houdini took up the challenge and he had himself handcuffed and whenever he would do these escape tricks oftentimes he would go down into a box to do all of his maneuvers i don 't really know why that is I guess just he didn't want people to see how he was doing it, or something. But um, but that's what he did on this occasion. He went down into a box to make his escape from these handcuffs, and uh, so th- he's down there for a while in the box. And then after a while, he comes back up out of the box, and the crowd cheers because they think that he's that they think that he's escaped. But then they see he's still got the handcuffs on, and he says something like, "Sorry, folks, I just needed a little more light, or something." And then he went back down into the box, and then. After a few minutes of being down there, he comes back up again, and the crowd cheers because they, they think he's done it. But again, he's still got the handcuffs on, and he says something like, you know, I just needed to stretch my legs or something like that. And then he does this several times throughout the act and then until eventually, finally, he gets free from the handcuffs. But then a reporter asked Houdini after that, uh, asked him why he kept coming up out of the box like that before he got free, and he's, this, is what, this is what Houdini said. He said, I needed the encouragement of the crowd. I needed to hear the encouragement of the crowd. And I think that one of the key truths that comes out of this passage that we have in front of us tonight is the importance, and I would say even the necessity, of encouragement in the Christian life. The KJV uses the word exhort in verse 13, which is really going to be kind of the key verse of my message tonight. But before we get to that point, let's um, let's back up again and walk through the the passage step by step. And just to give you kind of a a quick recap of my last sermon, the main point of those first six verses of chapter 3 was basically to tell us that Jesus is greater than Moses. And we stopped at verse 6, which basically says that we are God's house, or we are part of God's household if if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. And the point that I made there was that when it comes to demonstrating once and for all that somebody really is a true believer, I said that the final proof is in the perseverance. The final proof, not the only proof. We can have assurance in the here and now of our salvation, but the final proof is in the perseverance. Did we hang on to Jesus until the very end, or did we, did we turn back whenever things got uncomfortable or whenever things got tough? So that's the thought now that we're moving into verse 7 with. And verse 7 says this, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith... And now what the writer's going to do is something that he loves to do, something that he does very often throughout this letter, he's going to quote a passage from the Old Testament, and he's going to make his point based on that Old Testament passage. And he loves to do this. Sometimes he quotes a lengthier passage of the Old Testament, like what we're going to see here. Uh, other times he might quote just a phrase or a few words from the from the Old Testament. Uh, but it's very clear that, that this writer has a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. It's almost like he, Scripture just rolls off of his tongue as he, as he makes his points. And um, I think that's a, that's a knowledge of the scriptures and a familiarity with the scriptures that we should all strive for as Christians. Um, but I find it really interesting how the writer introduces this Old Testament passage when he says, the Holy Spirit says, or the Holy Ghost says in the King, in the King James. Because he's going to quote from Psalm 95, which we know is a psalm that David wrote. David wrote Psalm 95, and the writer of Hebrews is going to acknowledge that it was David who wrote it uh, later on in chapter 4. He's going to say that the Holy Spirit said through David. And so it's really interesting the way that he says that because he's presenting these words from Psalm 95 as something that the Holy Spirit says. And this is what we believe about Scripture, about the Bible, that it was written down by human authors, about 40 different human authors, but that God was so sovereignly involved in the process that what we have before us in this book are the very words of God. That's what I typically say before I read the passage of Scripture when I preach a sermon. These are the words of God, just as a reminder. So it isn't weird at all for the writer to say in verse 7, wherefore, just like the Holy Spirit says, and now here comes the quotation from Psalm 95, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. So this is from Psalm 95, and it's a psalm that reminds God's people not to be like the children of Israel were whenever they were wandering around in the wilderness and it wasn't really clear where God was taking them. And they started to lose their faith. And it says that they provoked God in the wilderness. God had used Moses to bring the people out of the land of Egypt, out of their slavery and the bondage that they were in to Pharaoh. But it wasn't long at all before they started complaining. Things got uncomfortable. Things got tough. The food ran short. They started to think that it would have been better off for them if they had just stayed in Egypt. Listen to some of the things that Moses had to hear and listen to from the people. This, this, this first one comes from Exodus chapter 14, where the people said to Moses, Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Or Exodus 16, two chapters later, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Wow, I can imagine that Moses probably did want to kill some of them with statements like that. Then in Exodus 32 is probably one of the more absurd episodes where the Israelites make a golden calf. They get tired of waiting for Moses to come off the mountain. So they make a golden calf and they say to the people, these are your gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And even Moses' brother Aaron was in on that craziness. And these were people who had seen with their eyes all of the wonders that God had worked in Egypt through Moses, all of those miracles and even right on through that 40-year period, God showed himself faithful over and over again to these people. And yet again and again, it says, the people hardened their hearts. So it isn't any surprise at all to hear the Lord say, Here, I was grieved with that generation, and they shall not enter into my rest. In other words, they won't be allowed to come into the land that, that God had been preparing to give them. And so the point that the writer of Hebrews wants to make here with this this passage is don't be like the children of Israel in their rebellion. Don't provoke the Lord in this way. Look at verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. You see, oftentimes when we study the Old Testament... we find good examples for us to follow. People who believed God, people who trusted in God, people who did what God said. We find plenty of good examples in the Old Testament. But we also find plenty of bad examples. Examples for us not to follow. And that's what we have here. An example for us not to follow. So just like the children of Israel hardened their hearts and they ended up eventually just departing from God, don't think that you're not prone to do the same thing. You are, I am, we all are prone to this kind of thing. And now verse 13, which I, uh, I think I said this would, this would be the, um, our key verse tonight. But it says this in verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The first thing I want to point out here is just what this verse tells us about sin and how it says that we can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Jewish rabbis had a saying. It was sort of a proverb, really. It wasn't in the book of Proverbs, but it was a saying that the rabbis had. They they said this, Commit a sin twice, and it will not seem to thee a crime. Commit a sin twice, and it will not seem to thee a crime. In other words... The more that you make a practice of sinning, the more you make a habit of sinning in a particular way, you will increasingly become more and more calloused to that sin, to the point where eventually it doesn't even feel like a sin anymore. And it's hard for you to even feel any kind of remorse at all or conviction from the Holy Spirit. And that's a scary thought, isn't it? That that sin would no longer feel like sin. I don't know about you, but i if, if there's any sin in my life, I want it to always feel like sin. I want, it, I, w- I want to always have a keen sense of how I've grieved the Holy Spirit by sinning. or I w- always want to have a keen sense of what it cost Jesus, what my sin cost Jesus and what he had to go through because of my sins. Those, those sins that I'm so prone to just take lightly. And so verse 13 now is going to tell us how how we're going to see to it that our hearts do not become hardened by sin. And this is how. This is what it says. Exhort one another daily. Exhort one another daily. Now, whenever I read that that statement, as I was thinking through this passage carefully and I was preparing this sermon, and I read that statement, I I thought about it, and at first I took it to mean something like, Call people out for their sin. Call people out for their sin. That's what, I, that's what I took it to mean at first. Make sure you call out sin in other people's lives. Tell them to stop sinning. If you see people sinning, tell them to stop. Make sure to tell them to stop. And I, th- I think the reason that I, that I took it along those lines is because what's the purpose of the exhorting? So that no one will be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So I thought the exhorting must be talking about calling people out for their sin. And that would make sense, right? Call people out for their sin so that no one will be hardened by sin. But I thought to myself, gosh, that's a hard word. Because, I mean, this is something that we're being told to do daily. So am I supposed to be the kind of person who walks around just kind of looking for somebody who's sinning, the sin police, and calling people down for it? Is that what it's it's saying? And it seemed like a really hard word to me. But the more I reflected on it, I eventually realized that that's not what the verse says, is it? Instead, what does it say? All it says is, exhort one another. Other translations are going to say, encourage one another. And there are are lots of ways to do that. Um, And I don't want to be misunderstood because I do think there are times when sin has to be addressed in love. Um, Whenever somebody in the church family is acting in a way that's just blatantly contrary to to God's will, uh, I think that there's a time when that sin has to be addressed in love. And it's not that we're trying to bring somebody down. It's because we're trying to bring them up. We want to see them being holy as God is holy. Uh, So there are times when we should lovingly call out sin Um, but the point that I want us to see here is that that's not what the verse is specifically saying to us. The writer doesn't say, call people out for their sin daily so that nobody would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Rather, he says, exhort one another daily. And like I said, other translations have encourage one another daily. And when is it? When is it that we're supposed to be exhorting one another as believers in this way? writer makes it clear. Daily, while it is called today. Exhort one another daily, while it is called today. I love that phrase, while it's called today. Because the interesting thing about the idea of today is that it's always today, right? We always talk about tomorrow, but by the time we get to tomorrow, what happens? It becomes today. It is always today. I heard a a preacher say something like, How do you know when you should be exhorting each other as believers? Well, check the calendar. Is it today? Well, yes, today is today. Then that's when? Today. (laughs) And the critical thing to realize here is that this is one of the ways that God is going to see to it that we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And it's one of the ways that God's going to see to it that you and I persevere in the Christian life. Moving in now to what verse 14 says. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. John Piper makes makes the point that um, um, perseverance in the Christian life is a community project. I'll say that again. Perseverance in the Christian life is a community project. We are in this together. I am part of God's means for seeing to it that you all persevere in the Christian life. And you all are part of God's means for seeing to it that I persevere in the Christian life. We're in this together. Now, you might be tempted to think that If you need the encouragement of other believers in order for your faith to stay strong, you might be tempted to think that that means your faith isn't what it should be or something like that. To which I say, that's baloney. That's not true. This is the way that God has set things up. This is the way that he's designed his church to operate. We're in this together and we need each other and we need each other's encouragement. Now let's read through the rest of these verses that we have before us. They're mainly just going to emphasize things that we've already uh, touched on. Starting at verse 15. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. How be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses? But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to Uh, To whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. And then verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in. Why? Because of unbelief. I think that's a pretty striking way for the writer to summarize everything that he's been saying. They could not enter into God's promised land because of unbelief. And I've heard it said... um, I couldn't track this quote down but I think it's CS Lewis who said it. Uh, that when that every time that we willfully choose to sin in a particular way. We're presented with a temptation and we buy into it and we take it and we sin. When every every time we do that it's as if we are momentarily stepping into an entirely different worldview. It's as if what we're doing is momentarily saying to ourselves, God's not real. Jesus is not Lord. His word is not true. Momentarily. It's like we momentarily become unbelievers. So whenever we sin, our actions are saying that we don't believe God. Our actions are showing the the unbelief that's in our hearts. But also I think there. are are inevitably going to be times in our Christian walk when the Lord just seems distant to you. I'm sure many of you have felt that way. I have. And the scriptures just seem like words on a page and you don't really feel fellowship with God like you once did and it feels like your prayers are just dead and don't really do much good. We're going to have those times. Why? Because our heart is prone to unbelief. But whenever we find ourselves in times like that, I think that our response needs to be like that father that Jesus interacted with, that father of the demon-possessed boy who said to Jesus, Please, help us if you can. Jesus said, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And the father said this, I do believe. Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. That's what our prayer should be whenever we find ourselves in those times when, when God feels distant. Because here's the thing, that's a good sign. It's a good sign whenever we can realize that our heart's drifting toward unbelief. And you have the sense enough to, to cry out to God and say, Lord, take away this unbelief. I want to believe you with my whole heart. Because that's a sign that by the grace of God, your faith has not run out completely. Completely. And you are still clinging to the Lord, and He's still clinging to you. So now I want to I move into the part of the sermon where we, we think mainly about how to apply this passage to our lives. And it seems most natural to me to let the application tonight really revolve around verse 13 and what we're told to do in that verse, which is exhort one another daily. Exhort one another daily. Daily. And I told you earlier that I don't think this primarily has to do with calling out sin in people's lives. It might require that sort of thing occasionally, but the, I think the command is really more general than that. Exhort one another. Encourage one another. Because believe it or not, this kind of encouragement has unique power to keep us going in the Christian life. To keep us persevering. Now here comes a sports illustration. I said a couple of sermons ago that I realized not everybody's into sports. Um, Most of us are, probably, maybe. Um, But not everybody is. And and you might even wonder what good sports are sometimes. But I think I would say one thing they're really good at is giving me sermon illustrations. (laughs) So here comes a sports illustration. (laughs) I went to my first college football game about a year ago. The Seminoles were playing the NC State Wolfpack, and they were playing at NC State's stadium in Raleigh, and I lived right down the road at the time. So a friend of mine got us tickets, and we went. So here I was, a Seminole fan, in an ocean of NC State fans. Um, And one of the things that struck me right off the bat as I got into that atmosphere was how loud and crazy a home team crowd can get in two plays nc state scored a touchdown and that place lost their minds they went crazy they were screaming their heads off now i can't talk because eventually i was screaming my head off once the seminoles finally got things rolling Um, but that crowd was wow that crowd was going nuts there was a cannon that blasted somewhere After every touchdown, I don't know if that's normal, but it scared the daylights out of me every time. Just nuts. And the, the level of encouragement that the NC State Wolfpack was receiving from their fans was through the roof. And you know what happened because of that? They dominated the Seminoles, at least for the first half. And so sports commentators and such will will often say that one of the things that a visiting team needs to do as they go into a a home stadium that's going to be really hostile, one of the first things that that visiting team needs to do is get the crowd out of the game. Get the crowd out of the game. Cut off that source of encouragement. Dampen the crowd spirits a little bit. Score a couple of touchdowns early. Make them think like their, their team doesn't have a chance at winning get the crowd out of the game, cut off the source of encouragement because an encouraged team is hard to stop. They're hard to take down. They're hard to beat. Now, in the Christian life, we have an opponent. We have an enemy. We have an adversary, and his name is Satan, and he loves nothing more than to see Christians make shipwreck of their faith. And he's got many ways to do this. But I imagine that in the the devil's thick book of strategies, I don't know if he has a book like that or not, but I imagine that one of the devil's strategies for, for getting a believer to make shipwreck of their faith is a strategy that goes something like, get the crowd out of the game. Cut off the source of encouragement that that Christian might receive from their fellow believers in their church family. Make him think that he doesn't need to be in an environment where he's going to be exhorted in the Lord and encouraged by other believers. Take the crowd out of the game. Cut off the source of encouragement. I think that's probably one of the devil's strategies for getting a Christian to fall away from the Lord. So don't buy into that. You can't go it alone in the Christian life. It's naive to think that you can take a just me and Jesus sort of approach to the Christian life thinking that you don't need other believers. Because first and foremost, Jesus doesn't want you to do that. If you take that kind of approach, at best, you're not going to thrive as a Christian. At worst, you're going to fall away completely from the Lord, and you're going to end up with a heart that buys into the deceitfulness of sin and falls away from the Lord. Don't let that happen. I don't know about you, but whenever I come into this Fellowship. Whenever I come to church and we sing songs together and uh, then we have a time of fellowship together where we walk around and hug necks and I look into the face of Miss Alta or Mr. Willard and they encourage me and they tell me that they're praying for me and they tell me that they're thankful for me and that God's got a plan for me and they encourage me in those ways. Little things like that have a way of helping us to see and realize that sin is not all it's cracked up to be. Isn't that interesting? That something like that just has a way of making you see that worldly things are not worth chasing after. There's something better. There is far, far more joy and happiness to be found in serving the Lord. I see that and feel that in a fresh way whenever I come into this fellowship. And I see your faces and I'm encouraged by you and hopefully you're encouraged by me. This is a mutual thing. The Apostle Paul said to the Romans that he wanted to come see them so that they might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. But see, this word, I think, instructs us in two ways, really. Or it instructs us on two levels. I think first off, it instructs us to, like I've been saying, maintain fellowship with other believers so that we can be on the receiving end of encouragement and exhortation like that. But at the same time, it's not really going to do you much good to be involved in a church if that church is not the kind of atmosphere where encouragement and exhortation like that is often given. So the Word speaks to us in another, in another way too. It is a word for us to be in fellowship with believers who are going to exhort us and encourage us, but it's also a word for us to be the kind of people who give this kind of encouragement and who exhort each other, who, ex- who exhort our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this is my point of application in that regard. Work toward becoming the kind of person who notices evidences of God's grace in other people's lives. And whenever you notice those evidences of God's grace in other people's lives, tell them about it. Tell them, that you're an encourage- tell them that they're an encouragement to you. Tell them that you're thankful for them. Tell them that you're praying for them. Tell them to keep it up. Tell them they're a blessing. Work to become that kind of person, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant it might be, what you say to other people. Be an encourager. Don't underestimate the, the, the power of encouraging each other in the Lord. And I do want to emphasize those words, in the Lord, just to make it clear that I'm not really talking about complimenting somebody's hairdo. <laughs> Nothing wrong whatsoever with complimenting somebody's hairdo. We should do that kind of thing. But that's, what, not, that's not what I'm talking about. And I'm, and, I, and I'm also not talking about some sort of general self-esteem-y type pep talks. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't think that as Christians we should be esteeming ourselves. As Christians, we esteem Christ. And it's because of understanding who we are in Christ that we find our self value but it's Christ that we esteem. And so remind each other of these things, that we're united to Jesus by faith. Remind each other of these things constantly. Whenever you get an opportunity, encourage each other in the Lord. Now this, this kind of exhortation and encouragement, I do think is something that we're primarily uh, going to receive whenever we come together in our weekly gatherings. We come together as the body and hear the word preached, but I don't think it just happens there. It doesn't just happen there. Because remember the instruction, what's the instruction? It's to exhort one another daily. So build encouragement and exhortation into your everyday life. So if tomorrow morning you read something in your quiet time devotions that really you read something that really speaks to you and it's really edifying to you, make it a point before the day's over to share that with somebody, to share that with another believer. You have no idea what kind of effect it might have on them. It might not affect them the exact same way, but it might. Tell your spouse about it or your kids. Send a text message to that that person who just sort of randomly and suddenly came into your mind and was laid on your heart. Send them a text message. Tell them that you're praying for them or give them a call. Tell them that you're thankful to God for them. Encourage them. And remember, always remember the reason that it's so important for us to do these things. For us to encourage each other like this. Because it's one of the ways that God is going to see to it that you and I persevere in the Christian life. Remember, perseverance in the Christian life is a community project. Perseverance in the Christian life is a community project. I am part of God's means of seeing to it that you all persevere in the faith, and you all are part of God's means of seeing to it that I persevere in the faith. We are in this together, and we need each other. That's what I have for you tonight. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word and how it convicts us and how it tells us how we're supposed to live. So, Father, I pray that these, again, Father, I pray that these words would have their desired effect and that we as a church would become the kind of atmosphere that this would be the kind of atmosphere where encouragement and exhortation is in rich supply. Father, that it would be the kind of atmosphere that we can come into as believers whenever, we, whenever our faith is low, whenever we feel like God is distant, and just be encouraged and built up by, by our brothers and sisters and held up by them. As we sit in our Sunday school classes and we and we share prayer requests and we share praise reports. Father, that all of these things we do as a church, all of the conversations that we have later on after church is over, that they would just be filled with encouragement and exhortation in the Lord. And that we would be all, that we would all be built up up because of these things. Father, make us that kind of church so that one day, finally, you through all of these things, through all of these means, you would finally bring us to glory. You would finally bring us to the end, that you would persevere us to the end so that we would not fall away. Father, thank you so much for the church, for the brothers and sisters that we have around us. Thank you so much for this blessing. Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, and the salvation that we have through him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.